you know, we all have those like little dreams or like little ideas or uh, things that we, you know, bucket list items that we want to have done. Most people could do them a lot faster and accomplish them a lot quicker when you think about almost everything in life requires money. So if you're if you're living in financial purgatory and you're just going to Target and swipe in and saying like, eh, like, I, you know. I'm fine. I can get that new thing for the house or I can, I can get the new shoes or whatever. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with shoes or things for the house. What I'm saying is that you should pay attention. You should budget for that. You should, you should track where your money is going. You should be intentional about how much money you're putting into savings and you're building towards those goals and those visions because you'll find out you can accomplish them a lot quicker than you think. A dream can be anything. Whether yours is to start a business, be in a healthy relationship, pursue your dream career, or to get right spiritually, every week the Dream Check Podcast brings you tips, tricks, and real-life insight from people who are living their dreams to the fullest. I'm Nicole Ivanoff, an established international wedding photographer and wife. Like you, I have so many dreams, some of which I've lived out and others I'm still pursuing daily. I'm a girl from suburban Detroit who's made her way out to LA, and although I'm no guru, I have a heart to show you that if I or anyone who comes on this podcast can do it, so can you. Welcome to the show. Time to check in. What's up, friends, and welcome to the Dream Check Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Evenoff. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're here. Today's episode is so special because it's the very first episode of season two, and it's going to be incredible. But actually, this entire season is going to be incredible because we have some amazing people lined up to speak on the show, and I, I really cannot wait for you guys to hear them. I personally can't wait to listen back and take notes. So today's episode, we're talking about a topic that we've never talked about on the show before. So one, I think it's super special for that reason, but also because it's a topic that isn't talked about enough in general, but it has a lot of potential to be extremely impactful to whoever's listening. So I'm beyond thrilled today. We have Andrew Martz, aka Money Martz on the show. Andrew is a financial advisor. He is the founder of Western International Securities. He is the host of the Dollars and Sensibilities podcast. He is a husband, a father, a leader. And my personal favorite thing about him is that faith is the foundation of everything he does. And so we talk about some really cool topics today, like what God says about our money and our finances, how we keep God at the center of our finances, how we can best glorify God with our money, the difference between giving out a sacrifice and giving out of abundance. And then we really dive into how we can overcome bad spending habits, which for me personally, really, really received that word. And so I can't wait to go back, listen, take notes, show it to my husband. And it just really has me amped for 2022. So I know it's going to do the same for you guys. Let's welcome Andrew to the show. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? I'm doing fantastic. This is so fun. This is so fun. I am so excited for this episode because I know I've told you, but we have never talked about this topic before. And I feel like it's just going to 
be so relatable to people, especially within the new year. I feel like it's such a good topic to kind of, you know, dive into, you know, saving and how to budget and how to just kind of set yourself up right for the new year. Um, and also, I feel like I'm personally going to gain from this uh, episode. And I know Nico will love that, too. <laughs> but I, you know, I already did the intro, but kind of tell us a little about a little bit about who you are and, you know, what you do in the finance world. Yeah, I think uh, the the titles I wear most proudly are husband and father. So my wife, Teresa, and my little babies. But uh, professionally, I'm a certified financial planning professional. I founded a planning firm about five years ago where essentially the idea was a lot of things in the financial services industry, in my opinion, are broken. And it tends to get people focused on things that are not going to make the biggest impact in their lives, which I hope we talk a lot about today. Mm -hmm. The things most people ask questions about, what stocks to buy, what should I do, matter the least. And the things that matter the most, which are like character and principles and you know the stewardship of your finances, will have dramatically bigger outcomes on your life, your lifestyle, your happiness, uh, your fulfillment and your sense of purpose and will practically translate to more money in your accounts, more wealth in your possession uh, if you follow those opposed to trying to like figure out what do I buy next. Totally. And I feel like that ties into like, does money buy happiness? <laughs> that's a great question. I, I feel like that's a very loaded question, but I feel like that does tie into character and principles and the foundation of of money yeah. in general. So so money will not will not make you happy. Money money solves money problems. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's it would be irresponsible to say like it's not about the money because we operate in a world where money is is a necessity. I was thinking about last night this podcast, right? The Dream Check podcast. And it's like, well, money fuels a lot of our dreams. Like you need resources, right? Time, talent, and treasure. You you need to have money to to be with the people, the places, and the things that matter most to you. But money in and of itself, or money as the main priority, as the most important thing, will not make you happy. But it will solve a lot of like practical money issues. Mm -hmm. um, so for I don't want to demonize money because money is agnostic. It doesn't care. It's just a piece of paper or really just a number on a computer screen most of the times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so money a lot of times will expose what's kind of deeper and planted inside of your heart, right? And it mm -hmm. can, you know, money does not make you greedy. You are already greedy and money just exposed that. You know, that's money so does good. not make you generous. You are already generous and money just yeah. exposed that. Yeah, that's so good. And we're going to dive into that. But I want to ask you the burning question that I ask every guest, which is what is a dream that you have right now? I am obsessed with this idea uh, of generational wealth. And, you know, I've gotten to a point in my life where it's it's not about the money. It's it really is about impact. And mm -hmm. again, the titles I wear most proudly are are husband and father. But I think about the impact I can have on generations to come. So my my current dream is working towards a place where I feel like I'm having a real impact as it relates to families and their generations and making an impact generally generationally 
through the utilization of money as a tool. Again, not the most important thing, but as the resource. That's the lane that God has, has placed me in. All right, I could have done a lot of different things and a lot of people do a lot of things. He just happened to place me in the, the area of money. I don't know why. And I love it. And I said this in, in the intro, but that, you know, you are mine and Nico's financial advisor. And I loved in our first meeting, before we even started talking about like our goals, you had asked us like, what are your beliefs about money? Like wh what caused you to have this habit or that habit? Like, because I feel like our upbringing has so much to do with our habits and our spending. And before we dive into like faith being the foundation of our finances, like what, what would you say about how, how much does our upbringing have to do with how we look at money? The first training grounds we have is what we're exposed to from our parents. For most of us, we see mm -hmm the way our parents spend money. Uh, we ask for things because children, they just, they see things and they want, and they don't understand really, you, you teach them at a young age, the difference between needs and wants. But when you're a kid, like you just want what your friends have. You just want things that look cool and cartoons. And yeah. <laughs> whether your parents said no, the explanation, the rationale they gave you behind that, or they just said yes, and you got whatever you want, whatever camp you grew up in, those shapes your views and more importantly, your behaviors as it relates to money, as you grow into a place of, of independence, you know, where, where you went to school. So I know you have a twin, right? So mm -hmm. you and your, your sister could grow up in the same household, have the same set of experiences from birth to 15 or 18, and then you go to different colleges, right? And you go to college in the big city and she goes to college in some rural area. And now all of a sudden in those formidable years, your exposure to different things that you see are shaping your views about, about money. Uh, mm -hmm. We work with a lot of people in Los Angeles and in New York. And one of the, the biggest things I hear is this idea that I'm not where I should be. I don't have enough. I should be further along. And so many times I have to remind people, especially in the entertainment industry, that the things you're exposed to are not real. Like you're living in a world that what seems normal to you is not normal. So you have to take some perspective to what you're seeing, what's being filtered, what's shaping those views so that you can be self-aware to know mm -hmm. like, all right, well, I see that and I see what's possible and all of those things are good motivators or you know, good, good examples, but here's what I need to do for me, for my family, what's most important. Yeah, and what's crazy is my twin sister and I, we grew up in the same house for 18 years, went to the same college, even lived together, and we have totally different views of money. And so you can grow up in the same house and have a totally different view of money, which I think goes into character and personality. And, you know, my sister was always a saver. I was always the spender. And I think that kind of boiled down to, I love fashion. I love buying new clothes. I love, you know, being up to date with that. I love shopping and she never has. And so for me, I think mine was like, I need to kind of like a heart check. Like, why do I love shopping so much? Why do I love this so much? Is it because I'm trying to keep up with trends, keep up with, with, you know, Los Angeles is constantly, it's so forward, fashion forward. And it's like, if you're not hopping on the new trend, it's like, are you, you're behind essentially. Mm -hmm. And so it's really easy to spend money in Los Angeles to keep up with that. But back to character, 
what would you say, um, like, what does God say about our finances? What does the Bible say about money? If you want to do finances according to God's principles, the number one thing to remember is God is the source. So like all, all financial planning, anytime we walk through a process with, with anybody, all financial planning starts with income. Income is your source that fuels being able to save, invest, and do all the things that you want to do, spend and live where you want to live. So you need to have a source. So if you, if you think about that, that idea, when it comes to your finances, like what is your source? Is it what you do? Is it your, your business? Is it your, the job you show up to? Well, okay, maybe, but really like God is the source. And if you realize that like God is your source, God has placed you in positions, God has given you relationships. I think it's, for me, it was really relieving when I recognized that because God can make a lot more money than I can. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so if I, if I need to have more money to, to live out my dreams and live out my passions, that's a lot of responsibility for me to figure out how to generate income. I'm like, wait a second, this is God's business. Like God is the one who is my provider. He's my source. It becomes a lot easier to, to see the, the potential and the capabilities that uh, the vision that God's given you. Yeah, he's the source and the provider. And how do you um, how do you keep God the foundation of your business as a financial planner? Because I'm sure you probably could have clients who maybe God isn't the foundation of of their life. So how do you how do you bring in faith as the foundation? Yeah, I, so I think it all comes back to principles, right? So there yeah. there are just certain principles that are are important and that we incorporate into how we teach, coach, and advise people, whether they have no faith, little faith, or fill, filled with faith. Um, it's really interesting. The Bible, as far as a, a guide on how to manage your money, the Bible talks about money more than it talks about any other topic, more than it talks about prayer, or faith, yeah. or sex, or anything. It talks about money. So... I feel like I'm cheating as a financial advisor. Like I have this awesome resource to just say, all right, well, here's what you do about all these different topics. Here's, here's what it says about income. Here's what it says about saving, about giving, about investing. To answer your question, you don't have to like beat people over the head with good principles. So those, those principles are in the, the mission statement of our firm. Uh, those principles are in every single system and process that we have. Uh, those principles are in the the tools that we use to execute and actually deliver our services to people. So that's how that's how we utilize it. Uh, I try to use whatever small platform I have to just kind of share my faith, whether that's with clients and some people don't care, mm-hmm. or whether it's social media or websites or videos or podcasts or wherever. Wherever I've been given an outlet to talk about this topic, I mean, it's, you know, all of the principles we use are coming from, from God, from the Bible. How would someone glorify God with their finances, whether they have an abundance or whether they have not a lot? Yeah. I th- so I think there are, there's like the practical uh, steps. So there's the mm-hmm. things you can do. But a lot of that comes back to relationship, right? And the heart behind what you're doing. 
So giving is a really good example. You can give money to a church or to a Christian organization and not glorify God mm-hmm. because you're you're doing it f- from a motive that's not pure, right? I'm trying to exchange and value something. I'm trying, you know, I'm doing this because I have to. I'm doing this because it helps me on taxes. Like God mm-hmm. doesn't want that money, nor does he need it. But giving because it's like, God, you've instructed me to give back my first and my best. Like th- I, uh, this is the little thing that I can do to thank you for what you've, you've given and what you've provided me. So giving is a practical practice to glorify God, but it does have to be reinforced with the right attitude, um, which is one of, you know, happiness and, um, and celebration and, and worship. Mm-hmm. What would you, what advice would you give someone who is in a church right now and is afraid to tithe? Because I feel like this is something even for me was a fear of mine for a long time. You know, I, I grew up with the fear of, I kind of wanted to always hoard my money because my fear of if I never had enough, that meant lack of stability in the home. And so I never wanted to give away any portion of my money in case I needed it. And when I got to a place of beginning to tithe, I felt and experienced so much more freedom and so much more financial abundance and just so many amazing things. And I know it's the one thing in the Bible God says to test, test him in. But what advice would you give someone who is in that kind of same boat, who is afraid to start giving? Yeah, that, that's like a really common feeling. I can relate mm-hmm. to it too. And that what you just quoted is probably what I would say. So I'll just share kind of my, my story. When I got into the church, I spent a couple of years not really living out uh, a Christian lifestyle. I would go to church, but I would also kind of have my foot in some other worlds and, and wasn't really living a godly, godly life. And it was a, a beginning of the year service. I was in church and the pastor kind of challenged, you know, uh, people sitting in church and said, Hey, if you're new to this, or if you feel like you really need to change your life, and at that point I was desperate, I needed to change my life. So do these four things. Pray and read your, your Bible daily. Come to church every Sunday, just come. Sign up to serve on some sort of team. Just give of your, your time and tithe. And he said, if you do those four things, I guarantee your life will be dramatically different in 12 months. And if I'm wrong, go back to doing whatever you were doing before, <laughs> if it was working better. And I said, you know what? I was so stubborn. I said, you know what? I'll, I'll take that challenge. <laughs> and in 90 days, my life was completely different. I walked out of that service. I signed up to, to serve on a team. I went home, I got on the computer. I gave, you know, my first tithe, you know, opened my Bible. I started praying and reading. I started connecting with people and everything in my life. This was 2000 and 10, 2000, everything changed. That was, and I just, because it was so dramatic, God says, test me in these ways. And it was, so I, I was, I was stubborn. I wasn't like, yeah, like, let's do this. Like, I have so much faith. I was like, mm-hmm. all right, prove it. Like, yeah, <laughs> you, you're this all, you almighty God. Great. Prove it. And, and it just, I was blown away. I was blown away by what had happened, what my life was like, the things I was doing, what I was experiencing, the peace I had when I rested my head at night, uh, mm-hmm. and financially, like my life 
has continued to just look dramatically different. That's not why you do it, but God will bless you. <laughs> That's so crazy. My story is so similar. I was in a church service and uh, like shortly after I'd gotten saved and the pastor had said the same thing. Like if you commit to one day a week for uh, one year, do X, Y, and Z, I promise your life will change. And in one year, my and less than one year, my life dramatically changed for the better. And my, I have a funny tithing story. I, when I was finally like, okay, I'll, I'll test you. Okay, I'll do this. Like this is step four, you know? And I tithed, it was like $150 or something. And when I say two minutes after I like tithed on my phone, I got a Venmo from someone who drove my car two years prior, popped my tire, never paid me for the tire. I I had to pay like so much money out of pocket. That person Venmoed me the money for the tire (laughs) two years later. And I just think it's such a, a funny God story because I feel like I know so many people who have such similar stories of of giving and then God rewarding you. And obviously it doesn't always happen like that, but yeah. I just think God is so funny. And uh, ever since that day, that's the day I started tithing. And since that day, I've just seen so much reward and not always financial reward, but reward, but just peace. And um, overall, just like, I just feel like a better quality of life, like overall more happiness. I, I look back, we have so many options as far as what we can do with money. And I've made bad investments and I've bought stupid things that I've wasted money on. And I've, you know, bought money on things that were a scam that I never got the product or service I thought I was going (laughs) to get. And I've made a lot of money. Like I have a lot of money regrets. I've Mm -hmm. never, I've never looked back on any time when I've ever given money and been like, man, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Sometimes it was hard to to say, all right, I got to pull the trigger and I've got to, I've got to give this money. Because mm-hmm. tithing is, I don't think it's always easy, but I don't think it's meant to be. So if, if you're feeling like, hey, this should always just be like, I'm, you know, I'm so cheerful. I'm so happy. It's like there are times when like it, it is tough to like hit that button and, and give. Um, but I've never regretted it. I've regretted so many things, but I've never regretted giving money. And it's wild because, you know, the more money God blesses you with, the more you're tithing. And like the more the more you're giving, it's like it does. It's like, oh, that's a lot of that could be a a house payment or that could be a, you know, but God always rewards our obedience. And and I don't think it's a coincidence that money is talked about the most throughout the Bible. Yep. And because of the heart. I'm I'm jealous of your um, your tithing story. Because I've heard so many stories like that, and I don't have a cool yeah. tithing story. Like, I don't have like I gave my first thing, and then like oh my god, this check just showed up in the mail. Yeah. But I've heard that so many times. I'm like, man, that's mm-hmm. so cool. My tithing story is I, I, when I started tithing, it was a a two figure tithe, right? Like that's what I was, and not because I was actually tithing, because like I was like testing the wars. Let me drop twenty bucks in the bucket and like see how this goes. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then it was a three figure tithe, right? It's like all right, now I'm giving more than a hundred dollars. And I remember the first time it was a four-figure tithe. And I was like, this is like actual money. Like, this is real money. And I remember my first five-figure tithe. And God continued. It's like, all right, well, like now I have my eyes set on when is my first six-figure tithe going to be? Because I want to write a tithe check that is, I haven't done that yet, but I want to write a tithe check that is a six-figure tithe check. And I was like, wait a second. Maybe I could write a seven-figure tithe check. Because Mm -hmm. I've heard... Pastor Lee Domain out of the Highlands Church talks about times when he has written million dollar checks to 
help, you know, a church building to help plant mm-hmm. this thing. You know, other stories, our, our pastor just shared recently, they were building their building in 2007, 2008. And that was during kind of like the, the financial crisis and the housing crisis and a banking crisis. And what they had planned on doing, what they thought they were going to have and the resources, just they were they were short. And he was praying down by the lake one day and God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he gets a phone call from a, a businessman in his in his church. And they said, how much do you need? And he said, I need $20 million. And I said, I'll take care of it. I was like, that's... No way. That, you got to have a lot of faith to just, let me stroke you a $20 million check to mm-hmm. build these buildings, believing that I'll be okay. My family, my, you know, my livelihood, my business, mm-hmm. and God's going to bless that. To have that sort of financial confidence, I think is really cool. But he didn't start there. He started with a, a $20 tithe. He started with totally. a $100, $150 tithe. And I love like, you know, even you talking about it, like how exciting it is like now to give. And I know it's one of Nico's like biggest goals and dreams is to be able to just like write a six figure check for the church whenever, whenever it's needed or whenever he can, like he gets so excited for heart for the house when, you know, you have to, or not have to, you get to go above and be uh, above your offering. And uh, he loves that. He gets so excited to pray about that number to give. And I, I remember the feeling of the first, first tithe to now before it was like, ah, it like you like kind of cringe and it hurts a little, but now it's like very exciting to give. And it's not really even a thought anymore. And there's always reward. Always. There's always reward. So now that we've kind of laid the foundation of, um, of finances for us, let's dive into just kind of some practical things that people can take away kind of starting the new year. So I, I know for me, I, I tend to have not poor spending habits, but like I mentioned before, I've, this is the best I've ever been. And I think that, you know, having you and Nico in my life has been a, a huge help in this area, but just like poor spending habits. So if someone is listening and they love to shop or just like, what's the word I'm looking for? They just or in Target can buy anything, they're in any store can buy anything. What would you say to someone or what best advice could you give them to kind of help that behavior or get out of that behavior? There's this, there's this idea, if you can imagine a kind of a chart that shows the relationship between anxiety and fear around money and the amount of money that someone has and or makes. Right. And at the very bottom of that, meaning you make very little money, you have very little money, you're in a lot of debt, you're not in a high paying job, maybe you're just you're just starting out, and, you know, you're young and you're living literally paycheck to paycheck. Typically, those people have high anxiety and or fear as it relates to money. Now, most people assume that there is a linear relationship between these two ideas, right? Fear and the, the amount of fear and the amount of money. Mm-hmm. And what happens is we, we go on in life and we make more money and we start to pay off that debt and we save more money. And we get into this place where you don't really have to think that hard about what you spend. So whether you spend 150 bucks or 200 bucks at the grocery store at Whole Foods or, hey, like, I like Air One and I'm going to go there instead. And you start to spend, it's okay because you can still pay your rent. You're still paying your car note and, you know, you're not, you're not making irresponsible financial decisions. I call that financial purgatory. People get Mm. stuck in this place of 
I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. On the other extreme, right, people with hundreds of, of billions of dollars, right? Do you think Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk have no financial fear or no financial anxiety or never think about it? I can promise you that they do and that they spend a lot of money on teams of really smart people to help them navigate and sort through massive decisions, even though some people listening may think they have more money than literally, you know, anybody else on, on planet Earth. So what happens? Well, I think the safe zone is kind of somewhere in between, which is my philosophy for most things on, on life, right? <laughs> is you shouldn't be living in financial fear, but you do need to have enough resources to get yourself out of a place where you're, you're living paycheck to paycheck or you're drowning in, in debt. And there's practical steps we could talk about what that is. But if you're in that place where it's like, I don't really have to think too much about what I spend because I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. I would challenge you that you're you're probably going to limit what the potential on your life is going to be and not just financially, but what is what is possible, what you can accomplish. The you know, we all have those like little dreams or like little ideas or uh, things that we, you know, bucket list items that we want to have done. Most people could do them a lot faster and accomplish them a lot quicker when you think about almost everything in life requires money. So if you're if you're living in financial purgatory and you're just going to Target and swiping and saying like, eh, like, I, you know, I'm fine. I can get that new thing for the house or I can I can get the new shoes or whatever. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with shoes or things for the house. What I'm saying is that you should pay attention. You should mm -hmm. budget for that. You should you should track where your money is going. You should be intentional about how much money you're putting into savings and you're building towards those goals and those visions because you'll find out you can accomplish them a lot quicker than you think. That's good. And I think there's this app, I, I don't know what it's called, and I've thought about getting it before. But I, I think a lot of times when people are in a place where they have the money and they're buying this pair of jeans and it's not a problem, all their bills are still paid or they're going to Target spending whatever, getting whatever for the house. But all of that adds up. And I think if people knew how much they were act actually just spending on a whim, they probably wouldn't be spending that much. And there's this app that um, basically, let's say you're going to buy something from Target, it's $300 or $150. So you take that total and you put it in the app and the app instead and now you don't you don't make this purchase instead it takes that money and puts it into a savings account and after like a week or a month it tells you how much you were going to spend shopping yeah basically yeah which i think i know for me like when i actually see how much i'm spending i'm like oh my gosh like i could have so much money saved by now <laughs> yeah it's it's why i am not a big fan of budgeting like budgets are cool and i think the practice of going through a budget is is important Mm -hmm. But more important is tracking because that forces you to look in the mirror, right? It's the same, like I can look at photos on Instagram of how I want to look, but mm -hmm. if I go home and I take my shirt off and I look in the mirror, it's like, well, this is how I mm -hmm. actually look. So, yeah. <laughs> so there's going to be a process to get to where I, I want to look. And a budget is what you want to look like, but tracking your money and having some system, which is so easy today, there's so many apps. I mean, your bank does it, your credit card does it for you to see where does my money go? How much money is going to food or how much money is going to shopping and all these different categories? Um, that would be one of my, my number one recommendations to anybody is budget. Great. Have a budget. More important, track. Track where your money's actually going.
and do it for three to six months. I love what you said about it being a mirror because I feel like that's like anything. That's like a marriage. Like people fear commitment because a lot of times commitment, a relationship, a good relationship is a mirror to some things that you may need to work on and fix. And money sounds like it's the exact same. When you're forced to track down where your money's actually going, you actually have to look at it and be realistic. Like, okay, do, do I need to make changes here? And people don't like change. It's easier to like stick into your habits. Um, and I know for me personally, like I with dating Nico, you know, he loves the topic of finance. He loves a good budget. He loves all these things that I don't love to talk about or do. I've just like to live in my own way. And um, but it wasn't healthy for me. And I and I think God paired us. One of the many reasons he paired us was he knew I needed someone like Nico, someone that was going to tell me like, this isn't healthy for you. It's not healthy for us. Like these are some things that could be changed. And at the time I, I hated them, like despised them. But I see, I now see the benefit. Like I've had all my debts paid off. I have more money saved than ever before since just putting these things into play. And as much as it hurts and we don't like change, it really is beneficial in the long run. What's so brilliant is that you brought up relationships and mm -hmm. It's so true, right? Like, especially with your significant other, your spouse, the things that come up with that person oftentimes do not come up with other relationships in, in your life because of mm -hmm. the intimacy and, and the closeness. And you're right. That's that's a lot of times what can push people away from from making that commitment is just things you got to work on. I wrote a paper uh, when I was going into grad school about this idea that you have to have a relationship with your money. And, and I've talked about this a lot where if you want to have healthy money relationships, well, how do you have a healthy relationship with Nico? You spend time together, you go on dates, you have hard conversations, you laugh together, you cry, to, you, it's, it's time. You spend time mm -hmm. and you experience things together. Well, you have to have time with your money. So does that mean you need to obsessively check every account every morning? No. What I say is you should have a monthly money date where you take out your money and you look at your accounts, right? And it's, again, super easy today, right? Pull up your bank account online, uh, you know, use one of the, the many apps that are out there and look at where did you spend? You know, where did you earn? Look at where money's being invested. Where is, you know, are, are you growing? Are you shrinking? What's happening? But the only way to have a healthy relationship with money is to spend time with it. Because if you ignore it, right, it's easy because you don't mm -hmm. have to think about it. But it's probably because there's some things there that you don't want to expose and or deal with. Yeah, it's like, like you said, it's like a relationship with God. It's like a relationship with your spouse. Like the more time you spend with God, the more you're going to know him and the, the bigger relationship is going to be and grow. And same with a, a partner and same with money. And I, I think that when you look at it that way, it's a lot easier to kind of understand it. Mm -hmm. So what are those practical steps that you would give to get out of that, like a spending behavior? Would it be like tracking your money in an app, something like that? My my personal preference is do something that automates the process for you so it's less work, right? Because people, 
let's be honest, people just don't want to do the work. So you're not going to go create some spreadsheet and fill it all in all on your own, unless you're Nico. Nico's probably doing gonna, that. I was just going to say, unless you're my husband. <laughs> <laughs> he, ha- he has was so excited to create our 2022 budget spreadsheet. I haven't looked at it yet, but. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, but it, most of us are doing some form of electronic banking, right? We're swiping debit or credit cards. We're using Venmo or PayPal or so. There are tools, right? Mint.com is one, Personal Capital, you know, the but I think it's like the budget app or something like that. Uh, I don't I, I don't know any of these tools. I'm not saying one is better than the other. They're just tools out there that you can use. And it it pulls in all this data from different sources so that you can mm-hmm. see this is where my money is is going. So that would be the the first step. Once you see that that once you have aggregated, once you've pulled in this this information. Then step two, take the time to sit with it, right? It's going to take a little bit of work, right? You got to dissect it. And uh, people are already probably in their minds right now saying like, well, I'm not a numbers person. Like you don't need to be, right? This is not complicated calculus. This is, this is literally just looking at, all right, here's a transaction for $17.99 at Target. Which category is that going to? That goes into shopping. Oh, no, no. I bought something for the home. That goes into my home category. Okay. Whatever categories you want, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But spend time to like reflect, right? Just sit and read that stuff. Third is figure out a way to to create some margin. And I think you've talked about this before, but like margin is so important in all areas of your life, right? You need to have like relational margin. You got to have margin for your relationships. You got to have physical margin. So don't burn yourself out. Don't try to schedule every you know minute of your day. Have time margin, right? Show up a couple minutes early, like you know, leave a couple minutes after this, this scheduled meeting to get to your next and have margin. So have financial margin and knowing what financial margin looks like is, is going to be directly related to what are you spending? How much, how much does your (laughs) life cost? Um, so those would probably be like, you know, your, your basic one, two, three punch of track your money, spend time and, and analyze it and then create a little bit of margin for yourself. For people who are in debt, do you recommend, I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey. I used his his out of debt, uh, what is it, the debt uh, snowball? Debt snowball, yeah. Is that something you recommend? Yeah, so I just, I had this disagreement with um, a fellow planner yesterday uh, on a different podcast. And, you know, he his big thing is like, pay off your high interest, you know, car debt first, pay off your highest interest, because that makes the most math mathematical sense. And he's right. Mm -hmm. It it does make the most mathematical sense. But a lot of money things aren't what are the most mathematically uh, rational things to do, because you have to take into account that like we're people and we have like human brains and we have like real emotions and real difficulty making decisions. So the reason I like the snowball um, pay down program, which if you're not familiar with that, it's take your smallest debt first and put as much money as you can to pay off that small debt. So it does a couple of things. One, it just creates a win. Like you're just going to check that off. And since it's your smallest balance, like you're going to get that off of your your um, your list of debts. Then take whatever money you are allocating, $50 or $100 a month, and then you snowball that onto your next day debt payment. So you're paying mm-hmm. off that next smallest one and you're accelerating that. So it really builds a lot of momentum, which I think is super, super important for everything in life, right? Like you just need to have some some momentum, some wins. 
so I love the the snowball effect. But if you're going to say like, well, that doesn't make the most mathematical sense. You're right. It doesn't. So if you want to pay off the highest rate debt first, like have at it, you know, like <laughs> that's that's fine, too. Um, you just have to be disciplined and, and know that it may feel like it's taking longer, even though when you pencil it all out, it you'll probably end up winning. You just have to be more disciplined. That's good. I know for me, like that was paying. It just feels good, like you said, to like see a zero, to see something paid off. And it motivates you mm -hmm. to continue going. Because if you're paying off, let's say your credit card balance is $8,000 and you're starting with that at 100 a month, it's going to be super discouraging because right. the interest and it's just going to take longer. But if you have a credit card that's at $600 and you can pay that off, it's going to feel very exciting. And from my personal experience, it motivated me to want to keep paying the other ones off. That's right. So saving can seem so scary to a lot of people, especially if, you know, you're not making a ton of money. Like where does someone start with saving? And is there a number that they could start with? Or what? what is the best practical way to start saving? Mm -hmm. So I'll give you the financial planner answer and then I'll give you the you know, what you should just do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think everybody, and I think this is probably a Dave Ramsey thing too, um, but everybody should just try to set a goal of a thousand dollars. What is that based on? Is that an arbitrary number? No, that is, we are living in 2022 and life is pretty expensive. So you look at mm -hmm. the average cost mm -hmm. of rents across the country, not just in Los Angeles, but in like Kentucky and Arkansas and North Carolina and all over the place. Like, you know, rents are, are high or housing payments are, are high. Your gas prices are high. Your car lease payments are high. So $1,000 is a relatively arbitrary number to say that can give you a cushion for a lot of things that can, that can be unexpected to mm -hmm. come up in your life. So that should be like first goal. How can I get $1,000 into a savings account? Once you, you accomplish that, then I'd probably say start working on tackling debts and, and things of that nature. But your real savings goal should be something between three to six months worth of your expenses. Three to six months, depending on the circumstances of, of the person. So if you're married and you have kids and there's more things going on in your, your life, right? You got a house and responsibilities and all that kind of stuff, a dog, which costs money. That's probably <laughs> six months worth of expenses, right? You just, you have yeah. more things that could potentially go wrong. If you're single and, you know, renting an apartment and, you know, you got a pretty decent, steady paying job, you could make an argument for, for three months worth of expenses, but somewhere in that range of your comfortability would, would be kind of the target. Now, the non-financial planner uh, answer yes. is $1,000 may seem like a lot of money to save. And I, I, I go back when my, my son was one years old. So I was, I was a college swimmer. And I love swimming. I love the Olympics. I love this, the swimming events in the Olympics. And when I was teaching my son how to swim, I just threw him in the pool. <laughs> Babies <laughs> have this incredible <laughs> thing of like learning how to keep themselves alive and not drowning. So just mm -hmm. putting his face up and, and finding mm -hmm. the air and, and floating. So I would liken saving to learning how to swim. Like you have to you have to just jump in. So you have to do it. And whatever that, that is, uh, start somewhere. So 
figure out what is an, um, an amount of money. It could literally be $5 a week. Everybody has $5 a week, right? Mm-hmm. Or $20 a month that they can save. Everybody. If you don't, there's other things going on that we probably should talk about. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Once you you establish whatever that number is going to be, $100, right? $250. Figure out the amount. Next, figure out where you're going to hold that that money, which probably should not be a place that's easy to access. So if you're struggling with saving and you have a, you know, you, you bank at Bank of America or Wells Fargo and you have a checking and a savings account. And every time you put $500 into your, your savings account, every three to four months, you seem to pull it out and transfer it to your checking and spend it because life happens. That was me in college. <laughs> put it into an account where it is not as easily accessible, meaning you're going to have to take some extra steps that mm-hmm. will force you to second guess that decision. Um, you know, put it at a different bank, put it at an online savings account. And there's plenty of places where you can kind of tuck and hide money uh, that have no fees and, and no costs and no balance requirements associated with it. Last is automate your savings process. So once you figure out how much you're going to save and where you're going to keep that and hide that from yourself, set it up so it automatically happens probably the day you get paid. So I usually say like tithe first and then pay yourself second. Those should be the first two things that exit your your account. And then the rest of your life is with the balance, right? So um, paying for rent and housing and credit card debts and food and shopping and all that. So automate that process so it happens right away and you don't have to think about it, right? There's mm-hmm. a theme here. Automation and, and having things happen automatically for you, I think, is is really, really, really critical because consistency is the most important thing in, in a lot of this. Yeah, because then you're being consistent without even having to think about it or really put in any work. That's right. Which I feel like is what most people want. So, okay, the last topic I kind of want to touch on because I think it's really interesting and you recently talked about it on your Instagram and you shared how owning a home is not an asset, which I feel like so many people disagree with. And I also feel like buying and flipping and renting homes is so trendy right now. Um, but can you touch on on that? Why why do you say that owning a home is not an asset? Yeah, so I, I usually get roasted for comments like this and I'll probably yeah. get roasted from your audience. That's fine. <laughs> So you, you have to make the, the distinction between your home and investment property. It's two very, very different things. And most people think that their home is an investment. And I'm a real big stickler for language in all areas of, of my life, but particularly when it comes to like money and investing topics, what you say really matters. Your home the place where you live, your primary residence, is not an investment. Why? Because you are not garnering any sort of real return from that asset. It is what I would consider a consumption asset. You are using that asset. Now, it is a good place to kind of park cash. So who should buy a home? People who are really bad savers. Another really controversial take. But if you're a bad <laughs> saver, I think a home probably makes a lot of sense because it, it is a forced savings mechanism for you. You're building up equity and think about like somebody's life cycle. You're 30 and you buy a home 
and you're not a great saver. So maybe you have, you know, a 401k at work and maybe you're putting a little bit of money away, but you're, you're really not saving that aggressively. So by the time you're, you're 60 or 30 years later, you've, you've theoretically paid off your mortgage. You now have no more housing expense, which will save you money, right? Housing is a lot of times one of the largest expenses that any, any budget has. So now as you're entering those years where it's likely that you're not going to be able to generate an income anymore, we call that retirement, uh, <laughs> you've now eliminated one of your largest expenses. But all of this, this equity or all of this money that people think they've built up, well, how are you going to access that? One of two ways. You can take a loan against it, right, which just now puts you into debt and you're going to have to pay that loan back, that becomes another expense. So that's, that's not really realistic. Or you're going to sell the home. And what happens when you sell the home? Well, you're going to need another place to live. So you're either going to go rent a place, which is going to cost you money, or you're going to have to take all of that money, and you're going to have to put it into another asset that you're just going to live in. So that's why I say, like a lot of people are rushing to, to buy homes. I got to buy a home, got to buy a home, got to buy a home, which is, is not a bad thing when you're self-aware and you recognize what that means. Buying a home at one point in this country was like a part of the American dream, right? The mm -hmm. house, the white picket fence, you know, the two and a half kids and the dog. That's <laughs> the American dream. So there is a lot of pride in home ownership. There is a lot of you know, there, there's a psychological confidence that it can bring to you. But financially speaking, that's probably not the what's going to help accelerate your finances uh, in the best way. Now, separate conversation is what you mentioned, like buying and flipping real estate. And that's different. That's mm -hmm. buying an investment. And when you buy an investment like real estate, you make the same sort of assessments that you would with any other investment. What's my risk? What's my potential return? What's my liquidity or how easily can I access my money? Uh, what sort of you know, income can this thing generate for me? So a piece of real estate could be a, a growth asset, meaning I buy a house for $100,000, I put $25,000 into it, and I sell it for $250,000. Great, I just doubled my money. So that's a, mm -hmm. that's a nice little thing. Or I buy that $100,000 house, and I put $25,000 into it, and I own it for $125,000. And now I put tenants in there who pay me $800 a month in rent. Great, that's, that's providing you some sort of, of real return. But it's not the only you know, many investments work the same way, meaning you can buy a lot of things that, you know, start at one price and you sell at another price, or you can buy it at a price and it generates you income through interest payments, dividends, or some sort of cash flow. So investment real estate would be, in my opinion, in the kind of the investment camp and could be a great part of a diversified portfolio, but your home, your primary residence is not a, is not an investment. So do you think it's financially more wise then for someone who has the finances, has the money to buy a home, do you think it's financially more wise for them to continue paying rent and owning, let's say, a taking that money they would to buy a house and buy a rental property and then continue renting themselves? So that, that becomes very, very circumstantial. 
So mm. I, I would I would not say that there's one right answer and it wouldn't be prudent being on a podcast be like, yeah, this is what everybody should do. Because it means because both of those both of those scenarios are going to now require a different lifestyle, right? If you're mm -hmm. if you're a landlord, right? If you have tenants and you're dealing like that's you're running a business, right? And it mm -hmm. could be a very simple business, and maybe it doesn't take a lot of time, and maybe it's things that you enjoy, right? Just coordinating a lot of emails and calls between the plumber and the tenant and the electrician, mm -hmm. whatever else may go on. If that's really easy for you and you enjoy that kind of work, great. If that stresses you out <laughs> if that is like oh my god like i don't want to take another call from this person or oh i gotta research another you know we need a gardener to come over to fix xyz if that then that may not be the best thing for you um i i don't think that buying a home is a bad thing so i don't want to misconstrue my beliefs on on buying a home i just think that people should understand like all right so what what's the average cost of a of a home in America today. It's probably somewhere in the $425,000 range. Your specific market may or may not be the same, right? It may cost you more. If you live in Los Angeles, the average price of a home is probably closer to like eight or $900,000. And you're going to be living in like part of the suburbs. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to live in the city, right? You go in the city, yeah. you're going to, it's definitely a million dollar plus. So to buy a home, what does it require? All right, well, if it's a, a $500,000 home, uh, I need a $100,000 down payment. So that's that's $100,000 that I'm sinking into to that asset. Mm -hmm. Then I'm borrowing $400,000 and I got to make payments on it every month. And those payments may be equivalent to what that person is is paying in rent. Now, if if you have other funds, if you're a great saver and a great investor and you have other resources to be able to fuel the things you want to do, or you just say like, I just want to go to work. I want to come home. I want to have my, you know, my pad, my little nest. I want to raise my family here. Like, that's awesome. I think that's great. Uh, and it's not a bad thing. It's not, it's not financially irresponsible either, right? Like that's mm -hmm. why that, the housing industry exists. That's why there's 30 year mortgages. It's why houses are being sold literally every second we've been on this podcast. Just understand that it's going to require $100,000 to save up. That $100,000 is not going to be able to be used for starting a side hustle or a business or you know, investing in, in other types of things, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's only so many things your money can do. You just have to decide what's, what's a priority. So that's what I would say to people is like, be, be self-aware and like, what does this decision mean for you? It's so interesting. And I've never even sought out to listen to people talk about stuff like this until, you know, we're in a position now where we're like, oh, we kind of want to buy a house. And we're in our I'm in my 30s. Like, I feel like that's an age where people are starting to house hunt. And it is so funny, because it is that like American dream, or there is a pride attached to it, where it's like, Oh, first time homeowner. It's like so exciting. It's like such a celebration. And I always think of my dad always said like, I can't believe you're paying this amount of rent in California. You could have a house and own it. And you know, that would be so much more beneficial. But I just love that you're saying like, it's not, a, it's not a bad thing to own a house, but it is not an asset, so to speak. 
which I think is just so interesting. And I, I'm intrigued for sure. So, uh, and I'll share my, my personal journey on this. So I, I bought a place in Los Angeles in 2013. And the reason I bought it was I went into it with a very specific intention. I was going to house hack, which was a really popular thing back in the day. So I bought a two bedroom, uh, condo and I rented out one of the bedrooms and I rented that bedroom out for like three and a half, four years. Then I got married. My wife moved in. We had a baby. We started to raise our family there. Uh, and about six or seven months later, uh, there was a friend who needed a place to live and we rented a room out to them. So for another year, while I was raising my family in not a very large space, uh, in a, you know, a two bedroom condo was renting out a room, supplementing some of the, the cost and expense on that, that property. They moved out. We lived there for another couple of years. Then we wound up moving to Texas. And then I rented that place out again, covering you know all the cost and and you know cash flow positive a little bit. And then just about less than thirty days ago, we wound up selling that. And today, I rent the place that I live because I don't want to use my money to put into a home where. I don't want to house hack. I don't want to have roommates. We have a, mm-hmm. you know, we've got two kids and, you know, we just <laughs> want to live in a home. But it's also for our our purposes, our lifestyle, like we get to live in the place that we want to live. I get to pay somebody else to deal with all the the issues. It's It supports my lifestyle and everything that I want. But I can, I don't have to spend, you know, two, $250,000 to go, to go pay the same amount of money every single month, that money is getting invested in, in other places because I just got other, I got other plans. And not to say that we won't ever own a home, uh, but there are other things that I would prefer to do with my money today. I also kind of like the flexibility of, of being able to rent. Um, Mm -hmm. and we, you know, we're, I'm not a single guy, right? You know, I'm a husband, parent, you know, two kids in school, a puppy now added via this Christmas. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I did not know you guys got a puppy. We got a puppy. So, you know, we're, we're raising our family, but I, I never feel the pressure of like, I got to own my, my home, but that's, that's just me. Like, I don't, I don't feel that pressure from family. I don't feel that pressure from, Mm -hmm. from anybody. Well, and you're smart and financially very wise, and, and you probably just also don't care what other people are are saying to do, you know? Yeah, and it, because I think it, it, again, it's if I did decide to buy a house, like I don't think it would be a bad thing. It just would mean that I wouldn't have money to do other things that today I prioritize. If you, if you are not doing anything with your money or you don't have other things that you're, you say like, I like a home is my top priority. And I'm like, great, save money. We do this all the time with, with clients, right? Find out the, you know, what's the, the price of the house you want to buy, save your down payment, save a little, you know, cushion so you can furnish it and all the things that come up with home ownership and uh, pull the trigger and buy a home. And like, I think that's an awesome, it's an awesome thing. And it's a huge accomplishment, but it's, it's not, it's not something I think, I think too many people feel the pressure of like, this is what I have to do. Like I'm, totally. I'm 30 now, I'm married, I have to own a home. You don't have to. You could, and it's not bad, but you don't have to. There's some, I, I don't know who, his name, Nico was telling me about him. He's uh, a really wealthy man and he's very old and he's never owned a home in his entire life. 
Do you know who that person is? I don't. Um, I would I would have to fact check it with Nico. Yeah, but it, um, but it's not surprising, right? Yeah. I know lots of really wealthy people, again, who they own real estate, but they don't, but they don't own where they live. And I mean, there's a variety of, of reasons on, on why that could be, um, you know, I don't want to get super technical, but like, you know, having a residence in a certain state and having certain tax benefits and, you know, being able to uh, ex- uh, write off or your business pays for certain types of when you're, when you're, when you're at a level where it's like you have a billion dollar business and you, you know, you have multiple streams of income and you're paying taxes in 14 different states, like it may make sense to reside in Florida or Texas or Tennessee where, you know, you're going to you're not going to pay as much taxes as you will in New York or California um, and and have that flexibility to be like, all right, well, I need to pivot if things change. That's it's so interesting. I like. I, I'm starting to love to learn more and more about uh, about finance stuff, and I think Nico's rubbing off on me a little, which is great because I want to be obviously as passionate about it as he is, so we can you know have some fun together with it. But all of that said, let's end on a couple books you'd recommend to just gain some financial literacy because I think that's super important. So I'll probably go with like books that not everybody says because. There's the books that everybody says to read. Uh, one that I, I really like is a book called How I Invest My Money. And it was written by uh, some friends of mine. It's a group of financial advisors who talk about what they do with their money, which I think it was so cool because a lot of times the financial industry is like, well, do this, do this, do this. And it's like, well, wait a second, what do you do? And mm-hmm. I love the openness and the transparency to so to see what different financial professionals do with their money and how they've kind of structured their financial plans and built their portfolios and build wealth and do they own homes or do they not own homes and why they make those types of decisions. Um, That's a really good one. Uh, Another one I would probably recommend would be, I think if you haven't read the Dave Ramsey Total Money Makeover, right? That's a, that's a really easy book to digest. It's got some really fundamental principles in there. Um, and then last, I'll just do a selfish plug. So uh, I am a part of a group writing a book coming out this March 1st, uh, all about financial planning. I love it. I was going to have you talk on that anyway. So when does it come out? March 1st. Mark, wait, that's like so soon. Yeah, that's in just just in a couple of months. And it's it's around the idea of um, the impact of financial planning. So I don't believe that there's one right answer for for anybody. I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. good money principles that you should follow. But even all these books, the Dave Ramsey books, the Susie Ormans of the world, the, the how I invest my money and all these, you know, people, even things that I've said, like you have to take this information and be able to digest it on what makes the most sense for you. Mm-hmm. So this book is all about that. How, how having a financial plan, having a roadmap really can make an impact. So it's different stories of real families and real individuals and the dreams that they've had and how they've created plans to really design their lives to accomplish the things that they, they want to do. Congratulations, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, we're excited about it. That's so exciting. I can't wait to read it myself. You will get a copy.
Cool. All right. Well, this was so informative and such a different um, like topic that I'm used to chatting about. And so I feel like it's going to resonate so well. And I love sometimes it's just great conversation in these episodes, but I love giving listeners like practical tools. And I feel like you did that so well. So I'm super excited um, for this episode to air. And just lastly, where can everyone find you and follow along? Uh, yeah, so I'm kind of all over social, uh, Instagram is probably the, the main place at Andy Martz, Andy Y-M-A-R-T-Z. Uh, our podcast is the Dollars and Sensibilities podcast anywhere, you know, anywhere you stream your, your podcast. And then, uh, I would say our firm's website is wisadvisors.com, which we have videos and links to the podcast and all the social sites are, are, you know, linked there. So an easy place cool and then if they if someone was interested in having you as a uh, their planner or advisor they could just go through that that link as well correct yeah that website on the website uh, there's there's requests for consultations and all those things amazing great thank you so much i this was awesome i'm so excited to tell nico all about it (laughs) this is a lot of fun thanks for the invite Of course. All right. Well, have the best day ever. And you guys, I'm going to link everything um, in the episode. Um, You'll get the book links, um, all his podcasts, Instagram, all that. So you can find him super easy. Thanks, Nicole. Of course. Bye. Later.